Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. I want to jump in today. Let's just go right in. How many of you know, how many of you know that everything can change in one moment? (laughs) How many of you know this? How many of you know that one day, one season, one decision, one conversation, everything can change? One pandemic, right? One unexpected diagnosis. We are, of course, living in days right now where we are fully aware that change can happen so fast, so quick, and everyone just, just to kind of get in on this, why don't everyone just say change? Everyone say change. I just got back from summer camp where I had them repeat everything I said. You know, I was like, say change. <laughs> say change. Every message took like three hours because I just had every, I said everything three times. But maybe I'll do that again today. I don't know. But our world is fragile. Would you agree? You know, terrorism, racism, crime, pandemics, natural disasters, I mean, whatever, the list can go on and on, all remind us of the fragility of our world, how quickly things can really change. So we're two minutes in, and I'm already talking about how the world is going to end, yeah? You guys happy to be here today? That's not what we're going to do today, and I I certainly don't want to ever be an alarmist by any stretch, but I want to talk about something that I believe is so critical for believers in the days that we're living in. I want to talk about perspective, and I know that perspective isn't necessarily a new topic or a new thought, but we are living in days where we must consider the perspective that we are living from. Today, we are on uh, week number five, by the way, of this series we've called Heal Our Land, and today's title message of the message is called Perspective on Perspective, Um, and so I want to give us a little bit of perspective on perspective, because are we seeing things the way we ought to see them? Because how many of you know that if you're looking at a baboon from the wrong perspective, you lose the beauty and wonder? Are you with me now? Are you with me now? I said, are you with me? Okay, good, 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 good. Because we got to be with, we got to be in there. You can lose the wonder and the beauty all about the way you look at something. We must live with an eternal perspective, um, and we're going to get into that in order to inform us of the temporal things we experience. Let me read this out of Second Corinthians chapter four, starting in verse sixteen. It says this: So no wonder we don't give up. For even though our outer person gradually wears out, our inner being is being renewed every single day. So no matter that we're getting old and we're aging, right, our inner self can get stronger. Is that a good news? Yeah. We view, we view our slight, short-lived troubles in light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us, get this, an eternal weighty glory far beyond all comparison. Because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. Can I get an amen? This verse, this verse gives us hope to so many things. One of those things it gives us hope to is that as we age <laughs> and your body begins to wrinkle and droop, is that the right word? <laughs> when the outer person gradually wears out, our inner person becomes stronger. 
keep your attention on the eternal things that are like weighty glory because they have no comparison to the things that are temporal loss of things like elasticy skin, right? One good thing about the pandemic for our family is that we were able to watch a few movies. Anybody watch movies? <laughs> during this season and we jumped on the Disney Plus train and we had access to a whole new bunch of movies that we hadn't seen, including all the Marvel movies. Now, here's the thing about Marvel superhero movies. I have learned that you are either all in or you are all out on superhero movies. That's just the way it is. And I was all out until quarantine happened and now, by the grace of God, I am all in. <laughs> Can I get a witness? And so here's, here's the thing. I, here's what I found very quickly is that there are 20 Marvel movies, 20. That's a lot. I was like, 20? All right, buckle up, here we go. You know what I mean? And I remember we watched the very first one. It was called Iron Man 1, part of three specific Iron movies, but really part one of 20. And I'm like, all right, so here we go. And I remember watching this movie and at the end of it, Robert Downey Jr., you know, is he going to save the world, save the girl? Is he going to be the hero we all hope he'll become, right? He's fighting, and he's fighting another Iron Man in the end scene, if you remember that part of the movie. And he's losing the battle. And how many know that in every hero movie, the hero almost dies, right? The hero is at the brink of death, and I can get into the intensity of these movies, and I can get sucked into the point where I'm like, oh my gosh, is Robert Downey Jr., you better get up right now. That's what I'm thinking, right? Like, we need you more than ever. And I'm thinking this, and then I have this moment of clarity, this moment of perspective in which I go, oh my gosh, this is part one of 20. He's fine. He's going to make it. Every once in a while, when you know that there's a part three, four, five, and 20, it makes you understand part one, everything's going to be all right. When you know the end, it makes things right now in the moment get a little bit more perspective. Joni Tata, author and activist, she writes this. She says, when a Christian realizes his citizenship is in heaven, he begins acting like a responsible citizen of earth. Oh, that's so good. He invests wisely in relationships because he knows that they're eternal. His conversations, goals, and motives become pure and honest because he realizes these will have a bearing on an everlasting reward. He gives generously of time, money, and talent because he's laying up treasures for eternity. He spreads the good news of Christ because he longs to fill heaven's ranks with his friends and neighbors. All this serves the pilgrim well, not only in heaven, but on earth, for it serves everyone around him. So good. You know, perhaps the healing that our world needs right now is brought about by people who see the world a bit differently. As we experience the fragility of our world and how quickly everything can change, I feel like that only illuminates the need for the people of God to have an eternal perspective that brings something different into the world that needs something different. Another way to understand perspective that I want to talk about is kind of considering our reference points in which you operate from. Everyone say reference point. Reference point. 
You guys are kind of saying it a little bit, not with enough energy. Everyone say reference point. See, this is good. Let me give you an example of what I mean by reference point. I hear a lot of people self-identify as foodies in the world. You know what I'm talking about when I say foodies, right? Um, I tried to do a word study on the word foodie, <laughs> which is funny. And the uh, best I could come up with is this. A foodie is a person who has a refined interest in food and who eats food not only out of hunger, due to, but due to their interest or hobby in eating which I love this, right? I love this on so many levels. That's your next job interview when they say, so do you have any hobbies? Uh, as a matter of fact, I do. I have a refined interest in eating food. <laughs> I just because I am, right? I am a foodie and I say that when we moved into the heart of OKC seven, eight years ago, I got into the food scene and we had many, many moments in which we wanted to experience all the great food that our city has to offer. And um, we get into the debates, and maybe you've been in the debates about who makes the best burger in town, right? Who has the most delectable, you know, avocado toast? <laughs> and, you know, whatever it is we say, I've had those prideful, arrogant conversations. I'm like, how can you call a Red Robin burger a burger? You know what I mean? <laughs> Panda Express is not Chinese food, right? But we say these things, right? And here's the thing. There's a flip side to the food conversation though, right? I remember the first time I went to Haiti on a mission trip and I was able to walk through this makeshift sort of um, outdoor market that they sell all sorts um, of anything and everything that they could get their hands on, whether it be bags of water or bananas or stinky fish or a thing that I came in, into contact with for the first time and saw for the first time in my life called dirt cookies. And dirt cookies are what they sound like. They're literally a cookie made of mostly dirt, a little bit of oil, a little bit of salt. They can get their hands on some sugar or some spice. They'll put that in there. And this is what desperate mothers not only feed themselves, but their, their children who, um, who are going through hunger pains. This is what they use to sort of quench that hunger pain. And all, you know, all it takes is seeing people that eat dirt to survive, or the time that I was in Haiti and I held a starving, malnourished seven-year-old who was about to die with his belly full of rocks from eating things like dirt cookies, all it takes is experiences like that to put some perspective on food. Because for some, food is a hobby, but for others, food is a matter of life and death. You know, the UN says that 815 million people are under, you know, suffering from chronic malnourishment in the world. That's nearly one out of every eight people globally. See, when our reference point is food in Oklahoma City, well, it can be a hobby. But when our reference point is dirt cookies and starvation, well, food becomes a cause. Food becomes good news, food becomes salvation, and food becomes healing. Are you with me? You see, when we have the wrong reference points, we may miss the gospel. When we have the wrong reference points, we may miss exactly the thing that God wants to do, not only in your life, but in this city and in our world. I heard Francis Chan say a couple years ago that the church, it's so easy to become a spiritual foodie which was such a good word for me. We listened to sermons and think, yeah, that was a really good one, but the one three weeks ago was way better. 
spiritual foodies are where our spiritual consumption of religious goods and services almost becomes a hobby. Am I talking to anybody now? So many people compare churches and compare pastors and compare worship leaders and books. You know, we find hundreds of articles on people who think that pastor's wrong or that church is wrong for that reason or whatever. My, my all-time favorite, and when I say favorite, I'm sarcastic in this, is spiritual foodies on, you know, the, the Twitter and Facebook bashers who, who love to talk about how everyone in the global church is wrong except them. You see, when our reference point is being a spiritual foodie, then every sermon we listen to has to become amazing or we get bored. Every time we open the Bible, it has to blow our mind or we shut it and go, eh, this is kind of a waste of time. Whenever we have the mindset of a spiritual foodie, every Christian preacher has to be perfect or they, or they become dead to us. Every song we hear has to be better than the last one. Have you heard Reckless Love? It's amazing. Uh, yeah, but have you heard Waymaker? It's even better. Hold on, hold on, hold on. The blessing, the best. Tasted and seen, amazing. <laughs> when your reference point, when your perspective is consuming like a spiritual foodie, it's easy, easy to be judgy and snobby and exclusive. And essentially we build our whole faith from the wrong reference point. Are we going somewhere today? I wanna show you a picture. Um, most of you probably remember this picture. Yes, this is Michaela Monroney. She was part of the 2012 women's gymnastics team and she was made infamous by this face. Yeah, this photo, you may not remember it, but in 2012, this, was, this meme was all the rage, right? And uh, she famously made this scowl, sort of grimacing face when, after winning the silver medal in the vault event. Now, she was expected to win gold, but she slipped on her, one of her vaults, and she ended up with the silver medal, and she was just not having it, as you can tell, you know what I mean? She was upset about this, and nearly everyone else in the world would be ecstatic about a silver medal, be blown away if they won a silver medal. It seems like she was pretty disappointed. And an interesting study was done on Michaela and uh, the face she made. Really, this whole study was done on Michaela's face. Like, why did she make this face? And in fact, um, it, was, it was by a lady named Dr. Lori Santos, the professor of psychology at Yale University. And she not only took Michaela's face, but she started studying all silver medalists' face and see what they did when they won. And she, of course, does uh, uh, all sorts of study, not just about happiness. She did this thing called the Happiness Lab where they study happiness, sadness, anger, all this kind of stuff. But when they did this deep dive on Michaela Monroney and her facial expression, um, they started to learn something about silver medalists is that half of silver medalists, about half of silver medalists show some sort of outward displeasure or disappointment sometimes extreme disappointment with their silver medal. In fact, silver medalists are significantly less satisfied and happy with their silver medalist, silver medal than bronze medalists are with their third place finish. Why do you think that is? Well, the reference point of a silver medalist is literally the one person who outperformed them on that one particular day in which they feel like they barely missed out on gold. That's their reference point. But a bronze medalist, 
Their reference point is, I barely missed out on fourth. I barely made the medal stand. And so they are more satisfied with their, with their, um, with their, with their finish. And so most of us, I would say this, most of us live from a silver medalist mindset. Our career isn't as good as theirs. Our house isn't as nice as theirs. Our happiness doesn't seem as fulfilling as it does for them. My car isn't as new as his. So we're either comparing ourselves to the gold medalists in our life or we're regretting the slip on the vault. And so if I didn't make, I made a mistake way back then and if I wouldn't have made the mistake, my life would be way better. If I wouldn't have taken that job then, if I would have quit my job 10 years ago, I'd be way ahead now. If I wouldn't have been so selfish or dumb when I was 20, if I didn't make that mistake, my life would be different. And so we live with a silver medalist mindset in which we compare ourselves to the gold standard or we, or we regret the thing that we feel like caused us to miss out on the life that we thought we should have. So what is your reference point? Are we comparing ourselves? Are we regretting things? And here's what I just wanna to say to us. As followers of Jesus, we actually have to do way better than this because we lose perspective so easily and so quickly. We get lost within our lives and our circumstances that are temporary and we forget about the eternal weighty glory that is so much better in comparison. A person who's truly a follower of Jesus at the end of the day, they're just going to have a different life. They ought to. Shouldn't a follower of Jesus have a different life? Listen to this, Ephesians 4. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. <laughs> Let me just say this again. If you got Jesus in your life, everybody's going to notice. And he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self, Life which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. This sounds like wrong reference points and wrong perspectives. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within you as your new life and life in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again. You are born again. You are a new creation in Christ. So let me just ask you, when you look at the body of Christ as a whole in our world today, maybe in our country today, or maybe even in our city, when, if you put the honest hat on about the church, the body of Christ, how are we doing at this? If you have experienced the anointed one, this is verse 21, and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. How are we doing at that? How's the church doing at that? Do people of the church stand out in the world as people who are clearly different? Or do we look very much like the rest of the world with just small differences? You see, many self-professed Christians don't actually live all that differently from the rest of the world around them. And I think we would all agree with that. And that's why, you know, when we think of verses like when Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter 
the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, verses like that should not only shake us to our core to decide or to to discern what's going on in our own life, but these should be the reference points. Things like Ephesians 4, Matthew 7, these should be the reference point from which we build our lives from. And I'm wondering if for some of us, our reference pointer is pointing at the wrong things. Is anybody feeling me today? Are you guys with me today? Because here's the thing, I've been just, I've been disturbed in my soul about the things that I'm being fed as the truth. And I'm struggling sometimes because sometimes I think perhaps that's what I should dictate my life on. If I'm being honest, it can sort of feel a lot more comfortable to be a part of what the crowd is doing because we like to take our cues from the crowd because it makes us feel a little more comfortable because I know this sounds so adolescent, but if everyone else is doing it, it must be right. I'm telling you, there is not, we don't age out of that. Matthew 7 verse 13 says, come to God through the narrow gate because the wide gate and broad path is the way that leads to destruction. Nearly everyone chooses that crowded road, but the narrow gate and the difficult way leads to eternal life, so few even find it. You know, I steer us back to the scripture every few months because Jesus says something really critical here. He says that we need to enter through the narrow gate. We need to walk on the narrow path. And most people, the majority of people, we feel more comfortable and more at ease on the broad road. We just do. It's easier, it's more comfortable. How many of you know, how many of you know that it's difficult to be a misfit? Just me, I guess. How many of you know it's difficult to be a misfit? You know what I'm talking about? It's hard to not fit in. To be the person who seems to always be on a different path as everyone else. Maybe you feel like a misfit in life. Maybe at work, you never quite fit in. Maybe at school, you never quite fit in. Maybe at home even, or maybe with your friends, you always feel like a little bit of a misfit. Now to be clear, I'm not talking about the misfits that think they're God's gift to the world, that think they're no one else is like them. These aren't prideful misfits I'm talking about. I'm talking about the misfits who, are, who live contrary to the world, who care about people more than they care about themselves, and who are aware of the stark differences that God has called us to live in this world. Those are the misfits, right, that God says yes to. God says yes to the misfits, <laughs> which I love. He says, stay on that narrow path because you're not supposed to fit in. You're supposed to be different. God's saying, I need someone to stand out in a world full of dull lookalikes. Will you break free of the sea of sameness? Will you uproot your anchor to the ocean of similarity? It's just really hard to not go with the flow in today's world isn't it? The world right now is trying to tell you and me how to think. Anybody feel that? 
trying to dictate our reference points. And some of what the world thinks right now is good and it's right, and some of it's just not. And I think we have to be fully aware of it because if we are in charge of our reference points, we might actually find ourselves living on a different path than these people that are telling us what our reference points should be. The world, here's the thing. If a group over there or a group over there is serving as your reference point, you are gonna probably find as a Christian that there's gonna come a day and it's probably gonna come quickly if you're really trying to pay attention that being a part of that group is very difficult because it doesn't line up with your faith. Listen, I don't have to agree with everything a political party says to agree with racial equality. Although some groups are trying to pressure us to think that this is a political agenda, I'm telling you, loving all mankind is not a political issue. And I know that sounds very political to say, but it's not. It's just simply truth. I don't have to take a liberal or conservative stance in order to navigate COVID-19. And I know this sounds really weird, but I just feel like we're being pressured to say stuff, do stuff, act a certain way in this world that is broken and needs healing. And I'm telling you, if we operate from the wrong reference points, we're going to find ourselves on a broad road that leads to nowhere. You know, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus wrote seven different churches' letters. Can you imagine getting a letter from Jesus to tell you what he thinks about your church? <laughs> oh, man. I feel, for this, I feel for these groups, but at the same time, man, I would love, I kind of want to hear it. He sends him seven letters, and the, one of the letters in Revelation 3 is to a city named Sardis, and there's a powerful sentence given to them there. Listen to what it says in Revelation 3, um, verse 2. It says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Let me just ask you, do you ever feel like there's something that came alive in you in your life at some point? It, which it erupted in you where you had so much conviction and passion that over time it has begun to slip to the point to where now if someone said, hey, is there something spiritually in you? that it feels like it's about to die. <clears throat> Maybe doubt crept in. Perhaps fear. Maybe people told you that you were, <clears throat> you were wrong about something. Maybe a bunch of changes came into the world and it sort of disrupted your routine and therefore you just kind of went, well, I guess that's over. See, the world, <clears throat> the world needs this word because it's incredibly powerful for us. Strengthen what remains and is about to die because I'm not finished with you yet. Strengthen what remains in you and is about to die. I don't know touch you, but I needed to hear that because the struggle is real. There's another letter and it's quite famously known by those of us who've been in the church for a while. And it was a letter to the church of Laodicea. And this church definitely feels very American. Are you with me? 
If you know this church, Revelation 3 verse 15 says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This is another sobering scripture about perspective. It really is about perspective. And just so you know, I think this is important to mention, he will not spit Christians out of his mouth. He's not going to just find those lukewarm Christians that are out there that are casually with their faith and get upset with them. God doesn't actually do that. I think God is saying in this scripture that there's no such thing as casual Christianity. There are those who are followers of Jesus and born again, and there are those who are not. It reminds us of what he says in Matthew 7 when people will say, hey, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this in your name? And he says, I'm sorry, depart from me. I never knew you. And what he's saying is, listen, there's no such thing. I don't spit my children out, even if they aren't doing the right thing. I don't spit them out of my mouth. So this idea of casual faith and lukewarm faith, it's just not in the Bible. God is actually distinguishing that there are those who say yes to me and there are those who don't. There are those who are being transformed into a new creation. You know, I want to think about this reference point in this letter. Imagine getting this letter and you lived in the city of Laodicea. And you read the letter and it was a bit confusing to you. I think it would be confusing to you. You're like, hold on. Lukewarm? What? Because if your reference point is only those around you, and if your reference point is what everyone else is doing, and if your reference point is the other people who are lukewarm, how do you know you're lukewarm? If your reference point is actually everyone on the broad path, you may actually be on the broad path and not even realize it. You see, when we have the wrong reference point, it puts us in the wrong places in life puts us on the wrong paths and we don't even realize it and we start championing things that we don't even know why we champion them. we start doing things we don't even know why we're doing them and here's the thing there is there is one cause in this world and this is nothing about our world today but there's one cause in this world that can fix all causes you see when I talk about food and I talk about food having a reference point to it there is a gospel purpose in food <laughs> just like there's a gospel purpose and what our world is facing in racial inequality, just like there's a gospel purpose and what our world is facing in a pandemic, just like there's a gospel purpose when a tornado rages through our city or when someone who has an addiction comes to you and says, I can't stop with this addiction. There is a gospel purpose in everything that is broken and everything that is lost and every wayward path that people have taken. There is a gospel purpose inside of it and it's gonna take Christians, people who are truly becoming new creations in Christ to say, I'm gonna take the narrow path, the difficult one, not the way that everyone else is doing this. I'm gonna take a different path, not because I'm trying to be different or I think that I'm better than everyone. I'm taking a different path because there is a narrow way that God calls us to that actually knows how to intersect things like grace and truth. He knows how to intersect things like greatness and smallness. He knows how to say the rich and the poor can be together. He knows how to actually bring all these divisions under one place and it's called the banner of Jesus Christ, the one who saves the world. Are you with me? And so what I'm saying, 
I'm here to say today that the opinions and perspectives of the spiritual foodies, the silver medalists, the broad roaders, the politically driven, they're not going anywhere. And they're not gonna bring about anything in our land, especially healing. The one thing they might bring is change. And I already said to you that change is inevitable. Change is easy. Change is around the corner. Change is in one moment. Change is not actually all that hard. And you know what? If the broad rotors wanna make change, go for it. But I'm taking a different path that's about healing. I don't want change, I want healing. Are you with me? And so healing is only brought about through the power of God and through the, people of God saying, you know what? I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek his face. I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. And then I'm going to go and be people of peace in a world, not just peace that's quiet. No, peace that has an opinion, peace that has a perspective, and peace that has a reference point that makes the broken things of this world the cause for the gospel to come to life. You know, so some perspective on perspective today is to consider your perspective. (laughs) What's informing you? If you spend more time reading social media articles to give you perspective, If you spend too much time comparing yourself to others to get perspective on your life. Wow. If you watch CNN or Fox News for hours a day but read the Word of God for minutes a week. Did I just hear say it again? Okay. If you watch CNN or Fox News for hours a day but read the Word of God for minutes a week, which perspective do you think will take root? Do you think it's going to be one of agenda for media and political perspectives, or do you think it'll be a a biblical perspective that takes root? You see, I want a biblical perspective, and I realize that that's gonna require change in my life in which I'm rooting myself in the Word of God, I'm rooting myself in a life dependent upon the Spirit of God moving in my life and directing my paths. Because if I'm gonna let the perspectives of the world be my reference point, it is a broad road that leads to destruction. It's empty. I'm convinced, unfortunately, that for many of us, we're taking cues and allowing our reference points to be guided by the broad path. I know I have struggled with this. And to which I would say, wake up. Strengthen what's about to die. for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Let's bow our heads. I'm gonna pray over this. I wonder who in here resonates with needing strength in your faith for something that feels weak and is about to die. If that's you, I'm not asking you to do anything, but I'm asking you to disconnect with that and say, Lord, I'm here today for a reason. I'm listening. I'm watching today for a reason. And I think this is it. I wonder who can resonate with that. We've been taking the cues and making our reference point from the sources of the broad road. And that we have to go back to the things we already know 
that we ought to be doing and that must be the perspective from which we live from. I wonder if anybody in here resonates with that. And if that's you, I just say right now, just say, Lord, I connect with you in this moment. I'm hearing what you have to say to me. So Holy Spirit, we just come right now. We ask for your power. We ask for your presence. We ask for your guidance, your leadership to be over each and every person that's connecting with this moment and this time. I pray that, Lord, you would, you would just do something in us that we didn't expect. I think one of the prayers we had this morning was that, God, we, we, you, you do things that we don't expect. We aren't ever ready for it. And, Lord, we just pray that even if we weren't ready for this, that it, if it feels a little bit like <laughs> a tidal wave on our perspectives right now, I pray that, Lord, it would, it would just, it would just, we would just take the ride. we just go along for the ride that you want to take us on right now, Father. I pray uh, over each and every person in this room that, Lord, you would move in their life in such a way that, Lord, it wouldn't just be um, something that stays contained to just our lives, but that, Lord, somehow, just like it says in Ephesians, that anyone who's encountered Jesus, anyone who's heard his truth, that it will be seen in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that, Father, you would, there would be something that would just be seen in the world, um, not just us in this room, but by your church around the world, by the, by the followers of Christ around this world, that this would be our time that you would unite the church under the cause of the gospel. I just want to throw this invitation out there. Everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. If you've never really uh, given your life to Christ, and you, you kind of know that already, or perhaps what I've said today about this idea of what he says in Matthew 7, that someone will say to me, Lord, Lord, and God would say, I never knew you, or when I talk about this lukewarm idea that, and that there isn't such a thing. And maybe, maybe today this, the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart like, yes, this is you. You need to give your life to me. You need to surrender your life to me. If that's where you're at, I want to invite you to just surrender your life. And it's really a simple prayer. The prayer is not in the Bible, by the way. This isn't, it's not some prayer from Scripture, but it's really just a surrendered heart. What you see in the Bible is that someone would surrender their life to say, I'm going to make you Lord of my life. And so we in the church have sort of made that a moment where you could say, I surrender to you, Father. And that perhaps that moment would spark a change and transformation of a new creation. And if that's where you're at today and you would like to do that, here's how the prayer begins. You just say, Lord, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you want to pray that right now, you can just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just pray that wherever you're at, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. If you want to pray that prayer right now, just say that to him. Jesus, I give you my life. If you just prayed that and you meant that, whether in the room or at home or wherever you're at, that's a, that's a moment of surrender to say, Lord, from this point forward, I want to be on the narrow path. I want to pursue you. I want to live for you. I just want to pray for you if you prayed that prayer. No one's looking around, but if you're brave enough to just say, hey, I, I did pray that, and I'd like just to let you know that and let the knowledge before God that I prayed that today. Would you just lift your hand wherever you're at? Anybody in here? That's good. I see you. 
God, I pray for those that just raise their hand. God, may you seal this moment of salvation in their life to where from this day forward, they would never be the same. God, we praise you and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you've changed us and you've made us a new creation. May we go now and be the people who live from a perspective from the eternal, weighty glory of Christ Jesus. We pray these things in your name. And everybody said, amen. Can we just give the Lord a hand today? He's so good, so good. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.